to attempt to explain the title of this sermon, it would cause you just to stand the entire time with me. But if y'all want to stand with me, that's fine, because I've got to stand. And if you want to stand, that is fine. But I will just tell you the titles, and we'll go along with what it, I'm going to speak tonight. For the next few moments, if you will allow me your attention, I will speak to us on this subject. Twelve stones, two sticks, and strangers. Twelve stones, two sticks, and strangers. The twelve stones have to do with the memorial stones that were stacked up at Gilgal as the memorial unto the Lord. This speaks of past experiences. The two sticks have to deal with the widow woman in Zarephath that told Elijah that she was gathering two sticks to make her son's last meal, and then they would starve to death. This speaks of present expectations. The strangers have to do with the, with the pilgrims that are mentioned in the Hall of Faith found in Hebrews chapter 11. They were uncomfortable in this world. They felt out of place. They were in search of a better place. And this speaks of future establishments. But if you have your Bibles and you will turn with me, we're going to begin in Joshua chapter 4 beginning with verse number 19. The Bible says, And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spoke unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Now Gilgal was the first camp of Israel after they crossed over the river Jordan. According to Joshua chapter 15 and 7, it lay north of the valley of Achor, which formed the border between Judah and Benjamin. Here Joshua set up 12 stones that he took from the riverbed. And after the miraculous crossing of the Jordan, and here the people were circumcised before taking possession of that land. And it was here that God told them, this day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. At this point, the Passover was celebrated and the manna had ceased. If I can tell you right now that there are places in life that become new beginnings to you. But after a while, if faith is kept in neutral and Christian development is put on a perpetual hold, that place of a memorial becomes a trap to you. God never intended Gilgal to become the permanent residence for the ark. He did not want the leadership of Israel to make their invariable headquarters. Likewise, God does not intend for the Christian victor to merely retire after the victory. 
or build up a memorial of what God used to do and live in the past. If we are not careful, we reach into the chilly waters of momentary success and we pull 12 stones of a memorial, we mound them up and we build a house there so that we can live there. And as the years pass by and other challenges come along, other building opportunities come along, or the evangelistic opportunities come along, we simply point out the 12 stones and say, that's what my God can do. But if you're not careful, you will always point at the 12 stones and say, this is only what my God can do. If you live in the past, you will stay in the past. We begin to limit God because we are relaxed in the day and hour that we live in. We begin to limit God because we are so overwhelmed with joy that that we got the Holy Ghost 18 years ago. And that's the only time that God has ever did anything for us. And we say, I know what God can do. But are you living a life that shows that you know what God can do? Are you living a life that shows that if God could do it 18 years ago, then God can do it today? Are you showing what God can do? We begin to limit God when we are relaxed in the past performance. We begin to limit God when we relish in the great revivals of yesteryear and and we polish the trophies of former glory days and we smile with contentment. Gilgal became a realm of idolatry, a shrine of worship rather than simple remembrance. I'm not preaching against building a memorial right now. I'm not preaching against knowing that God touched your body in 1969. I'm not preaching against thanking God for from healing you from cancer. But I'm telling you, you don't have to live in the past because God has got so much greater things in store for you. If you will just begin to worship Him. If you will just begin to glorify Him. If I can tell you right now, the greatest revival that the church has ever seen has not happened yet. I'll say it again. The greatest revival that the church age has seen has not happened yet. Future prophets, they would rise and they would rebuke Israel. Hosea chapter 4 verse 15 says, Though thou Israel play the harlot, Yet let not Judah offend, and come not ye unto Gilgal. Neither go ye up to Bethaven, nor swear the Lord liveth. Hosea chapter 9 and 15 says, All the wickedness is in Gilgal. For there I hated them. For the wickedness of their doings, I will drive them out of mine house. I will love them no more. All the princes are revolters. Amos chapter 4 and 4 says, Come to Bethel. And transgress at Gilgal, multiply transgressions. And bring your sacrifice every morning and pay your tithes after the three years. Amos 5 and 5, but seek not Bethel nor enter into Gilgal and pass unto Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity and Bethel shall come to naught. The point is simply this. Let us thank God for our past victories. But let us not mark them as the apex of God's manifestation. 
Because if I read it correctly in my Bible, it says that God is the same yesterday as he is today. And he will continue to be that way forever. If we do not relish in what happened yesterday, then we got a God that is saying, well, if I did it yesterday, I sure can do it for you today. And if I'm going to do it today, I'm going to keep my promise and I'm going to do it for you tomorrow. We cannot relish what happened yesterday. We've got a future to look forward to. Praise God. Praise God. Gilgal was a place of rising ground, as if God was telling them as a nation that they would begin to rise among the other nations. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot come to the foot of the mountain and say that we have arrived. Just because you've come to the foot doesn't mean you've made it to the peak. We cannot simply come to the foot and say, well, this is all good, it's all over with now. There is much more that God intends for us as a church and us as an individual to accomplish. There is much more for us to conquer. There are many more souls for us to lead to salvation. In Joshua chapter 5 and 19, it states that they came to Gilgal on the 10th day of the first month. The first month, not the last month, not the conclusion of time, not merely a highlighted day on a calendar that becomes a holiday. It was the first month. There is more work to be done. There is more uh, experiences to be accounted for. More discoveries of divine intent and purpose to be made. I wonder tonight what 12 stones of success exist in your life. Did you get a new job? Did you get a higher position in your job? Have you received a raise? Have you moved into the dream home that you just bought or built? Are your finances better than they ever have been? Be thankful for the 12 stones as a memorial in your life. But do not live there. Don't let your past victories detour your future visions. If you stay in Gilgal, you will live in the glories of the past triumphs. Then you will cheat yourself of a higher anointing with God. I'm going to say that again. If you live in the past, you are cheating yourself of a higher anointing that God has intended for you. Don't get comfortable with what happened to you when you first got in church. Don't get satisfied with receiving the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues once, and having that experience just one time. This is something that needs to happen every single day of your life. You have got to build a relationship with God every single day. If I'm not mistaken, the Bible does not say that you were saved after the first initial speaking of tongues. It doesn't say that you were saved when you first received the baptism of the Holy Ghost or get baptized in Jesus' name. But what I remember reading, it comes by the renewing. It comes by the renewing. If you want to be saved, if you want to make it to heaven, it comes by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's how you're going to make it to heaven. Don't get comfortable where you're at now. We've got to dig deeper in God. There's a statement that is often made to individuals or even businesses. And that statement is simply this. They are on the rise. How many has ever heard that statement? As a matter of fact, I've said it before. How many has ever said that? 
they're on the rise. In the sports world, reporters look at the at young guys as young phenomenons. They drool of the prospects of what he may accomplish in a particular sport. And as he develops into the primetime player, you hear them say, well, he's on the rise. The same can be said and heard in churches. A church begins to grow. It begins to expand its influences in society. Well, it should. It gets noticed by other churches, even within and without its organization. And it's on the rise. But my question simply is this. When does it cease to be on the rise? When it's reached a certain number? When it's outgrown everyone else in its area? When a certain individual within the church has reached its thousandth soul. Remember, Gilgal was a place of rising ground. If you stay at Gilgal, you are at just the beginning of what God intends for your life, what God intends for your family, what God intends for your marriage, for your ministry, and for your church. The key is to stay on the rise. Not just know what God can do, but know what God will do is what's going to get us on the rise even more. If you want to be noticed in the community, get out and do something in the community. If you have a problem with seeing empty chairs on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, then guess what? Get out and invite somebody to the house of God. Don't leave it for the ministry staff to do so. You get out and say, hey, we'd love to have you in church. All it takes is a conversation. If you want to be noticed, get out and be noticeable. I've seen many people just walking around with their nose up in the air like they were better than everybody else. You know what I do? I just stick my nose up with them. Well, if you're better than me, guess what? I'm better than you. How many has ever done that before? My mother-in-law, see her? She does it all the time back there. Just kidding. I love you. Sister Joy, she's back there looking up like that too. But if you want to be noticed, be noticeable. Don't let somebody say, well, they go to the apostolic church, their nose is up in there like they're better than me. No. I'm no better than anybody in this room. I'm definitely no better than anybody on the outside of these four walls. All it takes is a conversation that says, hey, we love you. We're praying for you. Come be in the house of God with me. No matter how successful you feel that you become, no matter how successful that your business may be, that your partner may be, no matter how successful, you still have to be noticeable to the people on the outside of these four walls. We've got to stay on the rise. Two sticks found in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and well there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not cake, but a handful of meal in the barrel and the little oil in the cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, 
that I may go and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do thou as hast said, but make me therefore a little cake first, bring it to me, and after make for me and thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day of the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Now watch this. I want you to notice a few things that are very important in this passage of Scripture. The woman said, as the Lord thy God liveth. She did not say the Lord my God. She said the Lord thy God. She was by all indications an idolater. Elijah by his sensitivity to God's plan is about to turn this outsider into an insider. That is an ongoing challenge in our church world today. Is that is to get outsiders to turn the Lord thy God into the Lord my God. The woman stated that she was gathering two sticks. God could have chosen some rich patron to accommodate Elijah. Instead, he chose a poor widow woman who was an idolater. You know, we may be amazed at who and what God chooses to use in the end time to benefit the church. You don't have to be called to preach to benefit the church. You don't have to be a teacher to benefit the church. Peter cursed God. Matter of fact, Peter denied God. Not one time, not two times, but three times. But because of that, let me tell you, Peter preached probably the most important message in the Bible, and that is to repent, be baptized, and be buried in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. It doesn't matter what you have done in your past experiences. As long as you get your present situation in order, then God will establish a new future for you. I said it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. As long as you've got God with you, then God is going to take care of the rest. For Elijah would come from the multiplication and the miraculous. If she had been a rich widow woman, there would have been no need for the supernatural. Could it be that some of our financial breakthroughs are waiting on us at the other side of a sacrifice? Could it be that God is wanting someone in here to sacrifice just a little more so that your breakthrough, your miracle, is something that's going to come your way? Could it be that God wants us to do more for Him? And He said, if you will do more, I will show you the increase. Could it be That we have a breakthrough waiting on the other side of sacrifice. Could it be that the miraculous awaits our moment of complete trust and complete faith in God? Now it's easy to say I trust God. It's easy to say I have faith in God. But when you're really put to the test, do you really trust God? When you're put to the test, do you really have faith that God can do everything that He said He would do? Sometimes... You have to get to the moment in your life where you have two dimes to rub together in order for God to say, I told you, if you would sacrifice for me, I will give you the increase. 
I'm telling you, you are going to be amazed at what God does in and through you once you put your complete trust and faith in Him. If I can tell you right now through the Holy Ghost that somebody's miracle is in the making in this room right now. I'm preaching to somebody that is going to step out in faith and say, God, I don't have much, but what I do have, everything belongs to you. God, it may not seem like much to some, but what I have, it all belongs to you. God, my energy, my strength, everything that I am, it's all in your hands, God. The next phase in Elijah's ministry began with a simple word from the Lord. Arise. When your circumstances show you that everything that you have depended upon is erased, God says, arise. You have to be willing to leave that which is not working behind. And you've got to listen to the voice of the Lord and get up and go forward with God. Sometimes the simple key of starting is the path to your miracle. You can't start if you stay. If you stay in guilt, if you stay, you can't live a life of grace. If you stay angry, you can't start an attitude of forgiveness. If you stay in jealousy, you cannot start the work of unity. If you stay in selfishness, you cannot start a sacrifice that may bring the supernatural. If you want to move from God, you've got to get out of guilt. You've got to get out of anger. You've got to get out of jealousy. And you've got to get out of selfishness. Because God is wanting to use a church that is you. United in this last day and hour. The key to perpetual revival in this day and hour that we live in is unity. Unity. I would look really dumb. Well, I probably do look dumb. But I would look really dumb if one foot was going this way and the other one was trying to go behind me. That's the way Sister Teresa walks sometimes. She don't know which way to go. It's easy to pick, I'm sorry. We as a church body, we cannot afford for one foot to keep moving forward and the other foot to try to go backwards. We can't afford for our head and our focus to be straight, but our feet cannot align with the way that we're looking. If we want to move forward in God, we as a church body have got to be unified and say, Hey, if you're praying for growth, I'm praying for growth. Hey, if you're praying for revival, I'm praying for revival. Hey, if you're praying for healing in your body, I'm praying for healing in your body. I want everything that God's got for me. Sometimes the best prayers that are ever prayed are the ones that are not selfish. It's easy to say, God, give me, give me, give me, give me. But it's not easy to say, God, just give them this. God, give them this. God, give them this. I need it, but I don't need it as bad as they do. Once you begin to start praying for your brothers and your sisters, then God is going to show you, hey, well, if you care about them enough, I'm going to bless you too. We have got to be united as a church. Elijah had stayed If he had stayed at Cherith, mourning about the dried up brook and refusing to hear the voice of encouragement, Elijah would have starved. He would have starved. 
And if you don't get out from the current situation that's binding you, that's got you chained down, that's got you fearing for God knows what, if you don't get away from that, then you are going to sit in this current situation that you're in and you are going to starve to death. But I've come tonight with a word from God that is telling you, get up, take the shackles off your feet, take the chains off your hands, and move forward with God. It's not God's intention for you to stay in your situation and starve. But what God is wanting us as a church to know is if we want to move forward, we've got to just get up and start. If so, it's time for us as a church body to get up and arise. We've got to get up from our cot of complaint. We've got to move on to the next thing that God has for us. The Bible tells us that if we ask, it shall be given. Ask, it shall be given. But the next part says, seek and you shall find. Some miracles in your life simply need movement. If you're not moving towards your miracle, you're never going to get it. If you're not asking God for it, if you're not seeking God for it, you're never going to get what God has in store for you. Don't let your adversity keep you in neutral. Don't let hell's advertisement of a dark future keep you in the state of immobile fear. Don't let your enemy's perceived advantage because you are in his territory strip you of your gears of advancement. Remember that Elijah was in isolation at this point because God was protecting him from Jezebel. But God told Elijah that if you want to get past this, situation you've got to arise as the psalmist said let God arise and his enemies be scattered God's promise is to change your natural possession and allow you to move forward the woman had said that she was preparing her and her son's last meal so that they could eat and die but God gave her an alternative she could obey the prophet or she could continue in her own mindset and have termination. For her, it was either death or deliverance. And I've come to let you know right now, there are people inside of the church world that God is telling them you have two choices to make. It's either you die in the sin that you're doing or you have deliverance from what you're doing and you move forward in God. I've come to let you know right now, I want complete deliverance from whatever may be holding me back and I want to move forward because I've got so much on the other side that I've got to look forward to that's something to hold me back here for momentary fun this world is temporary heaven is eternal the only bridge left for her to cross was obedience and when she decided to take the man of God at his word she received what God had promised the Bible says that she and her house ate many days remember in the opening scene that she was only going to have one more meal and die but God took one more and turned it into many. And so is the way of obedience. It transformed subtraction into multiplication. The word of God says that the oil in the cruise would not fail. And the meal in the barrel would not waste until the Lord sent rain unto the earth. God would take care of her and the things below. And then he would provide from above. 
The oil in the mill dealt with the things from below, the things on the earth. The rain would come from the heavens or above. Listen, God does, God only, He does not only want to bless our families. He does not only want to bless our spiritual needs. But God wants to bless our physical needs as well. When you take care of God's business, God takes care of yours. And that's the trade-off that makes us more the beneficiaries and the benefactors. Trust me when I say this. You cannot outgive God. You've heard it many times, I'm sure. But let me tell you again, you cannot outgive God. The widow woman shuffled around the gate of Zarephath looking for two sticks. She intended to build a little fire, cook the final meal for her and her son. Her present expectation was death. She had exhausted most of the oil in the meal for baking, though through three disturbing years of famine, the inventory was spent. They had spent three years taking away but putting back nothing. Now they were basically down to nothing. She looked at the marketplace where the wooden craters sat empty. No one bartered for food. Each passing day, the village looked more and more deserted. The seasons of famine kidnapping families, taking them to the shadows of the dead. And soon she and her son would be among the hostages of hunger. Unable to escape the slow death of starvation, she noticed someone out of the corner of her eye. He was blurry, probably hairy, probably smelt pretty bad. He was dressed in probably dark clothes. She, she knew that he was a man from the hills. He just stood there watching her. Her cheeks reddened, her heart probably increased. A self-conscious drum that beat harder and harder as he was walking by. Why was he stalking her? Why was he looking at her? Why was he even after her? Was he a spy for the king? The man unfolded his arms in eerie fashion. The wind blew a little harder. The sun continued in its intensity of the land and heated the eye that blazed upon the desert land. The man finally spoke and said, fetch me. A drink of water. The woman wanted to be polite to the stranger's request, thinking that it was possibly better to just give him a drink of water and send him on his way. Besides, with his appearance, he seemed not a man to be trifled with. And as she moved to accommodate his request, he asked for something more. Can you give me some bread to eat? Now he went beyond an easy request to an impossible one. Not only is this man a stranger, but now he is asking for things beyond reason. As the Lord your God lives, I am gathering some sticks to build a fire, cook my son and I a last meal, and then die, she explained to him. There was finality in her tone of voice. In her thoughts, she reckoned that you could not give me what I don't have. I cannot give you something that I do not have. Elijah ignored the terminal language of the obvious. He tapped into the resources of an unseen, infinite God, and, and, he, and he negotiated a trade with her. One meal for an endless payday of oil and meal. You give me everything that you have, you will never thirst again. You will never starve again if you give me everything that you have. Elijah told her, don't worry. Go on and prepare your meal. But first you've got to make me a small loaf of what you have. Bring it to me. Then go prepare the rest for you and your son. For this is what the Lord says. The bowl will not run out of flour or the jar run out of oil before the day that the Lord said rain. The message is simply this. Don't worry about a thing and go ahead and do what you've said. 
This is not a salesman. This is not a con artist. This is not a politician. This is a man of God. And there was something about the way that he spoke. And there was fire in his words. And there was a furnace in his eyes. And there was authority in his voice. All these things convinced that widow woman that he was telling the truth. And just like Elijah was telling the widow, I'm telling you the truth. If God is nudging you to make a sacrifice, it's only because he intends to bless you with the miraculous. You can never outgive our God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13. We've talked about 12 stones. We've talked about two sticks. Now we're going to talk about strangers. Hebrews 11 verse 13 through 14 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them from afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. These are the people who live for that which is afar off. Their vision is focused on better things in the future. I guess you could say that their favorite song would be, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me. From heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. They want to be strangers to persevere the elements of this earth. Which would rob them of their citizenship in heaven. They want to be strangers to selfish Christianity. The kind that only serves the egotistical need to be praised by men. They want to be strangers to, st to deception, not becoming familiar with manipulating teams that nourishes their own kingdoms while tearing down the competition. They wanted to be strangers to temptations, becoming so in love with the word of God that nothing of this life looks, tastes, or feels any better than the fire baptism of the Holy Ghost. The writer states that they all died in faith. There was not quit in the pilgrims of God. They walked with a determination, faith in spite of the rejection of death. When the last breath was drawn in the proximity of the earthly kingdoms and the rulers, they exited not in disgrace or discouragement. They left with a promise still in their, still in their souls. Skepticisms did not convert them after many letdowns and disappointments. Even when it seemed that nothing would ever come of the grand dreams that they lived for or that they even talked about and awakened each morning with the hope of finding. When they died, they did not come to an end of this earthly life living in fear, living in anger, living in doubt. But they died living in faith. They stayed within the borders of trust in their God. They camped in the higher transcendent confidence of a better place. Today, many people in our present generation put their resignation after a short time of adversity or giving away their hopes and dreams for an easier path of convenience and worldly amusements. They decide to take up an address outside of faith and they cease to live in faith. They are to place that is out of touch, out of desire, out of devotion. But for the resolute, there is an attitude of staying in faith, continuing to live within the city walls of faith, not choosing to move on because certain things don't work out the way that they thought they would. 
Having seen the promise, they were persuaded of them. This is a line of endurance. Even though certain pilgrims of divine progress knew that they would not attain it in their lives, they continued marching, they continued to prepare, and they kept on praying and talking about a day that they would sit down in the empire of the Almighty God. In their postmodern world, if people can't have it now, or at least within 15 minutes, they are ready to move on to a faster method of gratification of importance the world we live in is simply known as a microwave society it's not a crockpot society it's not something that happens slow it's something that you get it and you want it now if you don't get it you're moving on to something else I'm that way if I can't get something on my phone within a second I want to throw the stupid thing against the wall how many is that way let's be honest yeah everybody yeah. don't lie in church Seeing and savoring is the twin necessities of commitment for many. If they can't enjoy what they've seen, then they kick, they scream, they point fingers at one another, and they, they put blame on somebody else but them. Can I just be real for a moment? When judgment day comes, there's going to be no pointing fingers at anybody. It ain't nobody's fault that people go to hell other than their own. When you stand before God, you can't say, well, he did it, she did it. They all didn't know. It's going to be between you and God, and God ain't the one that's doing it. So guess whose fault it is? We got to be careful who we point fingers at. We got to be careful who we point blame at. Because most of the time, it's nobody's fault but yours. In closing, as the musicians come and we all stand tonight. As with 12 stones at Gilgal, we must thank God for the victories that we have attained in the past. But we cannot live there in hope that yesterday's victory will secure a victory from our present battle. Be thankful for yesterday's victories. But just remember, although that your past experience was fantastic... You must have a present expectation. Don't live in yesterday. Yes, it was great. If God did it yesterday, guess what? He's going to do it. He can do it today. And if God can do it today, He can definitely do it tomorrow. Don't live in the past expectations and say, Well, God, thank you. It's all I wanted from you. We got to have a present expectation with God. Like the widow of Zarephath, while the forecast of her present situation seemed to be death and destruction. If you will obey the word of the Lord through the man of God, you will find that God is about to perform a miracle for you. I believe that there are some in this place tonight who have been out gathering a couple of sticks to build a fire for their last meal. I believe that there are some in this room that are gathering every little bit that you have, just barely making it. It's like we say in the South, you're barely getting by. But God is trying to tell somebody, don't die in your present or past situation. 
You have given up hope, but God has sent me to tell you that if you will obey Him and you will sacrifice, that God will reward you and that God will perform a miracle in your life. God will miraculously provide for your every need. And I want to tell some of you, especially to the younger generation that seems to be lacking in commitment, that there are some things that you work for in this life knowing that you will never personally see them. Grandmamas in here, there are prayers that you have prayed that God is still in the middle of working on them. Some of you are in this building right now because of prayers that your mamas prayed, because of prayers that your daddies prayed, because of prayers that your grandparents have prayed. They may not be here to see you in church, but God knows that these are answered prayers. You need to learn how to recall the victories of the past generations and use them for assurance of today's victory. You must also realize that there are some things that you endure today, knowing that your children and your grandchildren are going to be the beneficiaries of your sacrifice. So to the parents in here, to the grandparents in here, keep on marching, keep on trusting, keep on praying, keep on seeking, keep on doing what you're doing because you've got kids, you've got babies, you've got grandbabies that are going to be the beneficiaries of what's going on today. And to the church in general, we have got to keep preparing. We've got to persist in talking and praying about the day when you become raptured out of this whole world onto a land that God has promised. We love the past, but we don't live there. We love the present because it's right now. It's what I can get from God right now. But we cannot stay in the present. We've got to look forward to what's going to happen tomorrow because all we are are strangers in a strange land making our way out towards a land that God has promised for us. If the singers would make their way to the platform, if we could just bow our heads right now.